You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, why don't we put our hands together one more time for these guys. Wow. Thank you guys so much for leading us in worship. Um, Hey, turn in your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, how's it? You guys all right? Yeah, Yeah? okay. Um, That was okay, but we're going to just pretend like that didn't happen and keep moving on. Um, Hey, I had to wake up early, and so I'm I'm with you on there. Um, Mornings are not my favorite time of the day, but... We're here, we're here because we love Jesus, and we are humbled that you chose to take your Sunday morning to be with us. Um, if you're new and visiting for the first time, um, we're, we're, we've been praying for you. We are uh, thankful that you're here. Um, we believe that God is going to have a word for all of us. Oh, when we make our way through the scriptures, we believe God uh, in the scriptures has chosen to reveal himself to us through what he has revealed to us in the word. So uh, a lot of times, you know, we think, oh, well, I wish, you know, this was said in the message, or I wish you talked about this, or I wish this was mentioned. At the end of the day, uh, we're not here to talk about what I want to talk about or what you want to talk about. We're here to look at what God has said in the scriptures. This is what we're about. We make our way through books of the Bible. We talk about things that are hard, things that are easy, things that are a blessing, things that are very hard to swallow and challenging. But no matter where you're at this morning, I want you to know you're welcome here. And uh, if, if, if you're skeptical, you're, you're welcome here. Or if you're a doubter, you're welcome here. If you don't have life altogether, you're welcome here because none of us do. Like if you got this life totally figured out, please let me know. But uh, one thing is constant, one thing is sure. And that's Jesus. That Jesus is the same yesterday, Today and forever. And so we look to him. We, we go in the scriptures with one another. But um, Malachi, it's about 400 years before Jesus puts on human skin when God calls up this minor prophet by the name of Malachi to declare the oracles of God. And these are definitely oracles. Israel is out of captivity Restoration has taken place within the borders of Israel. But even though they're home, it doesn't feel like home. Even though they're back in the promised land, it doesn't feel like the promised land. Land isn't flowing with milk and honey at this point. Things aren't going extremely well for them. In fact, not only is it not flowing with milk and honey, there is a drought in the land, which means Uh, There's not a lot of food, which means if there's not a lot of food, that means you're pretty hungry. And if there's not food, there's no money, there's not a lot of economic activity happening, right? So where they're at in life and in this stage of life is anything but easy. Plagued by drought, tight money, dealing with poverty, and worse off, not only are they physically in a place of poverty, but spiritually they're impoverished. Their faith is taking on water finding it more and more difficult to worship God, finding it more and more difficult to be obedient to him. 
The fervor of the Lord is lackluster because of their circumstances, their disillusion with God. Have you ever been there, right? That in light of the circumstances of your life, you become disillusioned and confused. Uh, does God really love me? Does God really care for me? Does God have compassion for me? Is God even aware of the situation I'm going through? And that's where Israel is right now. Disillusioned, dry, weary, so God drops his oracles through Malachi. And the word oracle there and from verse one really just means burden. God drops a burden. And it's a burden because for one, it's the oracle of the Lord. So God is sharing his burden with his people. It is a burden for the messenger. It is being shared through this prophet named Malachi. And it's a burden for all those who would hear it. Malachi is not a light book. Not an easy book. It's not necessarily a, a fun book. I had one person tell me, you're going through Malachi? That is, yeah. Wow. You volunteered to do that. Um, it's a burden because not everyone is going to believe or like what Malachi has said or will say. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Don't worry, it's a two-part message. <laughs> verse 6, chapter 1. As a son honors his father, and a servant his master, if then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. O priests, who have despised my name, but you say, how we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised? When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its fruit, food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring is your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you this day. We want to be a people who fear you, who declare your greatness, who tremble at your word, who submit our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, everything under the scriptures. We believe you have revealed yourself to us. We ask that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts and give us ears to hear your scriptures this morning. For God, you were a father. May you be honored in this place, God. May may we decrease, may you increase. And and I ask God that, that this would not be a time that is really about us that we so often become self-absorbed in life, but that you would, through your scriptures and through this message, choose to make yourself known in a powerful way this morning, God. We don't want to play church. We want to encounter you. So Lord, thank you for this time and your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Usually the first thing you say to someone, even if you're upset at them, hopefully, if not, this is some relationship advice, is I love you, (laughs) right? Before you lay into them, before you get intense, before you're angry and frustrated, you remind them of your love before you begin to unload all the problems that you have with them, right? All the married people are like, yeah, amen, right? And the single people are like, oh, we'll never, we were never going to fight. I'm not, we're not going to do that. Naive, it's okay, we'll just keep moving on, but the, just some relationship advice. It's easier to receive correction when you're reminded that you were loved. And that is exactly what God has done here through the book of Malachi. I have loved you, declares the Lord. That the Lord is making his love known for his people. God is making it clear to them. Hey, before I lay into you, before I share all the issues that I have with you, which we're, we're starting there today, I love you. And my love for you is nothing because of you've done. It's, it's nothing you can take credit for. Because it reminds them of who, who they are. That there is Jacob and there is Esau. God loves Jacob, but God hates Esau. And, and so much so that they say, well, how have you loved us? And God said, is not Jacob Esau's brother? If you were God, if I was God, I don't think we would answer someone doubting my love and affection for them. I wouldn't answer it with another question, would you? I would probably come up with some really crafty, creative hallmark lines that would be good and winning over the affections of Israel once again. But God says, how have you loved us? God says, is Jacob not Esau's brother? Yet I've loved Jacob, Esau I've hated. So God exploits his love for Jacob because God hates Esau. And Paul in Romans 9 turns on the x-ray machine to reveal the deeper truths that we can no longer see on the surface that in light of Jesus and in light of the gospel, we see that God loved Jacob not because Jacob was lovable. God loved Jacob not because God thought Jacob was going to do really good things so he could earn his love and, and, and Esau could not earn his love. They were twins from the same family, could not be more alike. Yet God says, but I do not have the same affection like I do for, for Esau compared to the affection that I have for Jacob. 
God did not love them because one was better. We are even told in Romans 9 that before they had done nothing, neither good nor bad, but God chose to love them and show his affection for them so that his purpose of election might continue. That God would show, look, I have unconditional love for them based on nothing they've done. And that's good news for you and me. You know why? Because if God loves you and me based on if we're lovable, if we're good, if we have pulled our life together, then what happens when our life falls apart? What happens when we aren't lovable? What, what happens when we aren't living the way that we, we ought? God's love is an unconditional love. God's choosing is not based on any human will or exertion, Romans 9 says, but on him who has mercy. And God is merciful because he loves us. So God chose to love us because why? He loves us. Why? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I really don't know. But this is good because... Because of his grace and mercy towards you, this means that God loves unlovable people. God loves dirty people. God loves people who would otherwise never love him back and he changes them. And that's true for Jacob, that's true for Esau, and that's true for you, and that's true for me. And that, that God in judging Jacob and, and not I'm sorry, God judging Esau and Edom and, and not judging Jacob or Israel in the same way, which he promises to do, is so that Israel's response might be, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A lot of us talk about the greatness of the Lord and we're blessed by the Lord, right? <laughs> but here, we're talking about the greatness of the Lord in light of God's judgment towards people. Because God is great because God is good. God is good in his hating of Esau because Esau deserves to be hated. He is wicked. None of us have come into this life with a blank slate and hoping that we make things right and that somehow we, we all come in. We are born from the moment uh, we are, came into this world screaming me, right? If you've been there at the delivery of a child, the first thing a child says is me. That's, it's translated for you. <laughs> me. <laughs> we're selfish by nature. We're selfish by choice and we're selfish because we've inherited that selfishness. And so God is rightfully in his goodness judging Esau and Edom. So God, in the beginning of this chapter, has declared his love for people. But now, we see the unfaithfulness of Israel. They are not loving God. Now, like I said, this is, guys, just so you know, this is one part of a two-part message. Those of you who have come to church for a while, like, we just read all those verses. We're going to be here till tonight, right? I know how long you can go. <laughs> two parts, two parts. But this is important because today we're looking at the burden of honor and why we should honor God. Why we should honor God. We're, next week, the second part of this message, same verses, we're looking at how we honor God. So here God is going to deal with Israel's laziness, their forgetfulness, and I want you to get this. This is important. 
by reminding them of who he is. God is going to speak to them in their disillusionment and he's going to remind them of his names, of his character, of his attributes. And so we begin with these attributes. Look at verse six. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. God here begins with reminding them that he is their father, fatherhood. Now, I don't know your background, but fatherhood in today's culture is so, so broken down. And, and, and we can often take our understanding and our perceptions of fatherhood from this earth and apply them to God. And just so you know, that, that's not fair for God. Listen, I don't know your background. I don't know who your father was. Some of you, dad was at home, but you wish he wasn't at home. Some of you never, no, don't know your father and never will know your father. Some, you, you knew your father, but, but he left. And others have had fathers that have been faithful and have loved you and loved your family. We all have different backgrounds on the father, but we cannot take fatherhood in our understanding and culture and apply it to God the father. God says, I am your father, Israel. You are my children. I have loved you. And the burden of the father here, we read at the beginning of verse six, is their lack of honor. For a son honors his father. And if then I'm a father, where is my honor? He is their glorious father. God is their loving father but they have forgotten that they are his children and they were called into relationship with God, but they were living like everyone else, saying and identifying as children of God, but living a completely different way. And, uh, and we're told here, hey, as a son honors his father, as a servant honors his master, so God should be honored. So now this is interesting here. So what, what is God? Is God a father or is God a master? Many of us fall into viewing God in one category or another. Those who have a tendency in their hearts toward legalism usually view God as a master. Where God has required of me to do many things, and in God requiring me to do a lot of things, he as a master expects me to be obedient. Then others of us do not view God as a master. We view him as a father that God has love, that God has an affection. But oftentimes, if that's the camp we fall in, we don't think God really requires anything of us. Where God is more of a passive father and not requiring of us. Be reminded, no matter where you are at, God is both a loving father and a master. God requires of you obedience, of me obedience, and at the same time, he has love and tenderness and affection toward us. God is both. And so wherever you're at, you need to settle in your mind and, and, and in your heart. That is our God. 
And that God will not continue to put up with apathy and complacency. But at the same time, if, if you're under the trap of thinking that I have to do things for God because he is a master, no, there's nothing you can do can earn his love from the beginning. He loves you because he loves you. And because he loves you, the result of his love is that now you obey this master. The point is this. God says, if I am a loving father, if I am a master, where Israel, where church is my honor, God would say. Now, if we think he's going to lay off the intensity on this, we would be wrong. <laughs> uh, I want you to see at the end of verse six, God, not only is he a father and a master, but he's going to reveal other parts of his nature and his character or, or of the names of God, you could say. End of verse six. If I am a master, where is my father? Says the Lord of hosts. Write that, circle that. If you're taking notes, put, says the Lord of hosts. That's important. Verse eight, we are told, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Hosts, verse 9, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, I have no pleasure in you. That's loaded. Well, that's next week. Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 11, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, says the Lord of hosts. It's mentioned eight times here. Now, usually when your mom or your dad growing up said something at least twice, you need to listen, right? Here God is not saying it once, not saying it twice, eight times. God refers to himself through the prophet Malachi as the Lord of hosts. Now we can easily read through that. Okay, no big deal. Lord of hosts. Uh, what, what? What? Okay. Lord of hosts. The word host in the original language really implies three things. It's pretty, pretty big. Armies. Angels. Creation. Armies, angels, and creation, or the galaxies, you could say. So God here, in talking about himself and trying to awaken them from their slumber, is reminding them of who they are. And what God says about himself is, I am the Lord of hosts. So the first God says, I rule over the armies. I rule over nations. Guys, Armies and nations are like chess pawns in the hand of God. That's pretty insane when you think about how God uh, is over all things and that he is in charge of all things. This is really speaking to his sovereignty. And in Proverbs 21.1, we are told the king's heart is, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So, so our president, uh, the other uh, nations and, and leaders of those nations and all the armies, streams of water and the hand of God. Not only is God sovereign, not only does God rule over, is he the host of the armies, God rules over and is sovereign over the angels, the angelic realm, 
that all angels and anything spiritual creature of that nature exists for his purposes. Psalm 103 verse 20 says, Blessed be the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obey the voice of his word. Every angel is in submission to God and every angel exists for God's glory. In other words, if God sends an angel on an errand to go accomplish what it pleases, it's not the same when my wife sends me to the grocery store to pick up some groceries for her, right? Come on, men, you're going to leave me up here alone? Am I the only one who struggles in the grocery store? It's like, where's the butter? You're in the vegetable aisle. Oh, I don't know. Okay, whatever. I mean, I... It takes me forever to find something that I'm looking for in the grocery store. I have a hard time. I was even recently sent to the grocery store to get a couple of things, and one of them was wrong. So I'm just, I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. However, my failure to run an errand is nothing like an angel's failure. An angel can accomplish all that he can. But listen, angels are not great because they're angels. Angels are great because they serve the one. They serve the king. And the Lord is the host over all the angels. So, not only is God sovereign over the rulers and armies and over the angels, but the Lord of hosts rules over the cosmos and creation itself. Okay, so think, the furthest star that and galaxy that we're even aware of to what's sitting on your coffee table right now. God knows all those things, and it's all his. He knows how many hairs are on your head, and every breath you and I take is an act of his grace and kindness towards you and me. The fact that you're breathing right now and your, your heart is beating is evidence of his grace and mercy towards, toward us. He owns all creation. Everything in the world is his. Psalm 137, verses six and seven. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. And heaven and on earth, into the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes the lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. So that's the Lord of hosts. Kind of reads a little bit different now, doesn't it? Like, okay, you control thunder and lightning. You are over all the armies and even the angels. So God says to Israel, I am your father. I am the Lord of hosts. But where is my honor? When we understand and believe that God is the Lord of hosts, that he is master, he is to be feared, he is a father to be honored, no longer do we have to fear the armies, but we should fear the one who is over the armies. No longer do we put our hope in secondary spiritual things like angels, but we look beyond them and we hope in Jesus because he is greater than angels. We don't honor creation itself, but we honor the creator God for the creator is obviously greater than creation. For he is the Lord of hosts. And listen, if you have been loved and adopted into his family, if you are a Christian, if God is your father, like Israel, I ask you today through the voice of the prophet Malachi, is God being honored in your life? To let the burden sink in further, 
and deeper into our soul. Because Israel thinks God is honored in their life, but what does God think? Would God say you were honored in his life? May all of our life, all of our emotions, all of our being live for the existence and for the honor of our majestic father. And you can check the pulse of your relationship with God by gauging your honor toward him. You can know where you are at with Jesus based upon your honor of him. Now, if God is who he says he is, why doesn't Israel honor him? And why don't we honor him? Why, do, why is the tendency of man's heart to become so disillusioned? You know why? God says to the priests in verse six, yes, we're still in verse six, I know. And if I am a master, where is my father, says the Lord of hosts? O you priests who despise my name. As God is revealing his name, his nature, and his character to them, they are despising the very name of the one who is the Lord of hosts. And you know who's doing this? The priests. Like, you know things are bad in Israel when the, when the pastors are screwing things up pretty bad, Right? You can get a gauge and an understanding on where this nation is at based upon them. And really, when God says to the priests, you who despite my name, that word despite really in the original language is a lack of passion and fervor or zealousness. It's, it's speaking of apathy. And apathy cannibalizes awe. Apathy cannibalizes honor. If these verses show us anything, it's that our heart's natural inclination is to minimize God and maximize ourself. And the scripture's declaration is to always maximize God in his glory and to minimize ourself. Do you, have you ever noticed the tendency in your heart, and, and I'm speaking here from personal experience, that I am so quick, so often ready to make God lower than he ought to be in my life and lift my, myself so much higher. This was the sin of Israel. It was the sin of the priests. Now we'll, we'll talk about how the pastors have gone wild next week and how they've screwed all these things up. And then the way they've handled the word of God, but they have failed the Lord of hosts. And, and know this, the, the, the response of this nation is like, what do we do? What do we do, God? What are, what are you talking about? Real us? L look at verse six, the end of verse six. If I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priests who despise my name, but you say. Okay, pause really quick. Oh, well, we'll get there actually in a minute. But you say, how have we despised your name? Questioning God by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, they're arguing with God here, how have, you how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. All right. 
Malachi here introduces a new style of writing. Um, really up until this point, it was more of a monologue of God speaking through his prophets. But the writing style has uniquely changed here. And it's more of a dialogue now where, where God is talking story with man and man is conversing and talking story with God. And so we're blessed here to see the heart and motivation of God and now to see the heart and motivation of Israel as God is speaking to them. And what's crazy is they don't even see their own sin. They are so in such a place of apathy and despite, they don't see their own apathy. They're so messed up in their sin, God makes known to them their faults and their sin and they're like, they question God. Like, if God speaks to you, you're probably, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna guess you're probably not gonna start questioning him, right? You're gonna fall in honor and awe and reverence, but, but here is Israel. God's speaking to them, and they're like, oh, he's always spoken to us. He always has spoken to us. He will continue to speak to us, so you know what? Let's just question him. Let's argue with him. It's a dangerous place to be arguing with the God of the universe because all the while God is trying to help them, they don't want it. They struggle with self-sufficiency. They struggle with having honor for their own life. And listen, you and me are never more like Israel when we cannot be corrected and when we cannot be humbled. When God speaks his word to you and me, the position of our hearts is to be on our knees in worship and adoration to him. He's speaking to us. But we fall into the trap of Israel when you and I begin to question instead of Humble. Now, listen, I'm not saying you can't have questions about God. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't ask him things, but I'm saying in the, in the moment of God revealing himself to you, when we question ourselves for our own defense, we know that a, a defensive position means there's something to defend. And they're trying to protect and defend their sin. How do, how do I know this? Because so often I cannibalize my own joy because I try to do things on my own. I struggle with self-sufficiency. And when I do that, that cannibalizes awe of God because no longer am I looking to God for help. I'm looking within myself for help. I, there's several occasions in um, my marriage where my wife has said, babe, why don't we pray about that? And my response is, I don't have time. And of course, she proved me wrong. And God has used her faithfully to speak into my life, to cha- challenge me and to grow me. And, and I thank God for the gift that she is. And, and, and sometimes that's not fun. I mean, that's what Malachi, Malachi is a gift from God to speak into. Is it ever fun when someone comes up to him and says, you're in sin? Oh, please tell me more. Please, just, just <laughs> while you're at it, just tell me every problem you have with my life. Just go ahead. Just put me on the rug and walk all over me with your dirty, stinky feet, right? Our natural inclination of our heart is to be like, oh, no, God, God, no. Verse 11. God says, hey, from, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For, the, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Listen. God does not need honor from them, but for their sake, they should honor him. And it's why he says, 
My name is gonna be great among the nations. Listen, Israel, you think you're the thing right now. You think, you think you're it. You think you're the best, but my name is gonna be great, not just among one nation, but, but soon my name will be great among many nations. You are not entitled, but you are privileged, Israel. Stop dishonoring me and begin to honor me. Stop defaming my name and give glory to my name. Have awe of me once again. And I would argue and say that the central theme of all the scriptures is that we, in light of who God is, be in awe of him. You guys, the, the, the first thing we read when we pick up our Bibles at the beginning is, in Genesis, in the beginning, God. If that does not immediately speak to God's priority, God's priority is not you and is not me, but it is himself. It is his glory. It is his majesty. Now, we'll talk about this more next week because I said this is a part two, or this is part one of of a two-part message, but everything in all creation exists for God and for his glory. My life should be wrecked by awe of God. Listen, awe of God should define and shape and change our entire life. And this is God's burden for the priests. This is his burden for for Israel. See, because of his attributes, we should reclaim an awe of God. And when we fail to honor God, know this, Awe of God is naturally replaced with self-awe and self-honor. The very calling of the priests was for them to draw people in for God to be glorified and honored. But Israel has has had such special blessings from God, they've become apathetic. They have despite towards his name, they are called and loved by God, which is truly amazing, but they've gotten familiar with it. Like I said, if God was to speak to us, we would be pretty floored. Here God is speaking to them and they're arguing with him. But God, why, why, how, how do you love us, God? How have we polluted your altar? How have we had despite towards your name? How, why, how, why? And all the while, God says, Let me remind you in your slumber, in your apathy of who I am. Now there is this thing um, in the art world. I I do some graphic design and and I love music. I love creative arts. I love visual arts. I love love music of all different kinds. Um, There's this thing in the art world known as visual lethargy. Visual lethargy. I think the best way to describe visual lethargy is just to explain it to you. The first time you see a piece of art for the first time, it usually seizes your attention and, and grabs you and takes hold of you, and you're in awe of it. The 25th time you've seen that piece of art, the 25th time you've seen something, it doesn't affect you the same way as it has the first time, has it? See, that, that's visual lethargy. So when you move into a new house and you are on your way uh, to home from work, you know, when you've just moved, you, you, you notice the scenery and you're like, oh, this is so beautiful. And you look at the trees, you're like, oh, the landscape is, is just so amazing. And you even hear the birds chirping, right? Two months later, 
on your way home from work, do you notice the birds chirping? Do you notice the view that, that, that you have on your drive? Or are you fixated upon how slow the car is going in front of you? What happened there? Visual lethargy. The, the scene became familiar and you became comfortable and you become disillusioned and begin to focus on and miss the beauty and the process. Sadly, Israel is in a state of spiritual lethargy. So God is telling them, hey, Israel, I'm going to be praised. I will be praised. I will be honored with or without you. Remember who you're worshiping. Because this was even true for Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a local hometown boy from the ghetto small city of Nazareth. I mean, it's not even a town. It makes, um, I won't say that, actually. Uh, it makes not so pleasant places in the world uh, look uh, beautiful in comparison to Nazareth. People are like, I mean, that's what people say. From Nazareth? Are you Does anything good come out of Nazareth? That just kind of gives you idea of the... <laughs> Nazareth, right? Nazareth is a bad place um, in the sense that it's just kind of out in the boondocks, out in the middle of nowhere. Jesus, being from Nazareth, grew up with the same people, same community, same town. And it made it difficult for people to praise Jesus and worship Jesus when they saw him as a boy. Oh yeah, that's, that's a Jesus. Now, of course, there was something special about him. He never sinned. He perfectly obeyed his parents. But this hometown pride permeated in Nazareth, so much so that as Jesus was older and doing the work of the ministry, Mark 1.6 tells us that Jesus could do no great miracles there. He was a familiar face. They had spiritual lethargy. And so God's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not showing up. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are not amazed at God. You guys, let, let, let's just pause for a moment. It is a tragic place to claim to be a worshiper of the most almighty God and to be bored with him and to be more entertained by Facebook, Instagram, text messages, friends, or anything that seems more exciting than him. The awe of God is gone, and guess who isn't showing up at church on Sunday? Or the tabernacle, the temple. Verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my, on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. See, they're worshiping God without the spirit, religion without a relationship, a social fraternity and not fear and honoring and worshiping God. They would rather play church than worship God, which is so often why we say, we're not here to play church. We're not here to do our religious duty. Check, I did my Sunday morning. I fulfilled my Sunday morning duty. We're here for a greater purpose than that. And if this shows us anything where God is not honored, God will not move in power. Where God 
is not honored, where God is not in awe, God will not move in power. It has been our prayer from the moment we planted this church three years ago that God would shut the doors of this place if we fail to bring glory and honor to his name. Seriously, before we even started the church, we prayed, God, if this isn't what you have, if you don't want us here, shut the doors. Stop. If we're not going to make much of you and Conan on the big island, why, what are we doing? We would be putting, kindling an incense on the altar and God would say, you're just wasting your time. But listen, as long as we do honor God, God will move in power. Not because we deserve it, but because God says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw men unto himself. Now, in closing here, the remedy is not think of yourself less. Okay? The remedy is not, I just gotta stop thinking about myself. I gotta stop honoring myself. No. The remedy is think about him. Honor him. Don't, don't worry about yourself. Just don't even worry about yourself. Just think on him. Honor him. And if you admit this morning that you have lack of awe, that you have grown bored with the greatest treasure in all the in existence. The gospel is for you. Jesus is able to restore astonishment. Jesus, in light of the gospel, in light of the New Testament, is able to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so if you need restoration, we recover that awe, that honor of God. We recover awe, listen, when we acknowledge the greatness of his sacrifice, the depth of our sin, and the height of his love. We recover awe when we acknowledge the greatness of his sacrifice, the depth of our sin, and the height of God's love in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be honored in this time. May we be in awe of you, God. May we understand the greatness of your sacrifice, the depth of your sin, and the height of your love for us, that even while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. God, you gave up your own son so that we would be received unto yourself. And Lord, unless we fall into the danger of becoming bored with you, God, even even I confess right now, God, I am so tempted in my heart to miss you to be entertained by things other than you. And, and, and in doing so, I get bored with you. God, right now, even in my heart, and, and, and maybe many other people would, would agree for themselves in this prayer, Lord, we repent and we ask for forgiveness of self-sufficiency. God, we confess our sin right now to you, Lord, that, that we often have Instead of obeying you, we question you. 
and right now in this time of prayer, as our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I, I just want to ask of you right now, have you lost your awe? And, and, and if you have, okay, all right. I want to give you this time just for these next few moments here to respond to God. I'm going to give you a couple of moments for you to be honest with him and tell him you've lost your awe and ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that your jaw would drop at his glory again. That he would restore to you the joy of your salvation. So, so if, if that's where you're at, just take this time right now and and just, and just have that conversation with him just for a few moments right now. God, even I confess... At times, lack of awe of you. The priest had lack of awe. God, may you restore to us what we have lost because of sin. God, may you bring and make your power known to us in this place right now, in this present moment. God, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to bear these truths and to open up the eyes of our hearts to see these things. For you are the Lord of hosts. You are Father. You are Master. We give all our glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.